Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, We're live nationwide and worldwide, thanks to our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So if you're a meeting planner or you're a keynote speaker, get together at SpeakerMatch.com and find one another. January has been a a tough month here in Washington, D.C., and all over the world after the the events of January 6th and, and the insurrection at the United States Capitol, followed two weeks later by the inauguration of a brand new president. And much has been made of the media and its role in what happened. So I wanted to talk today to someone that pays really close attention to the media um, from a very analytical standpoint and get some straight talk about how to interpret what we all see in the media. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, fake news, junk media, the war uh, on the media, what mainstream media means and why that's become uh, sort of verboten, and and lots more. So Vanessa Otero is the head of AdFontes Media. They're based in Colorado. Um, And can you tell folks who are listening exactly what it is that you guys do and in your media bias chart, Vanessa? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me, Burke. Thank you. Uh, yeah, our company, Ad Fontes Media, we, what we do is we rate the news. We rate it for reliability and bias. And uh, listeners of your show might uh, have seen the media bias chart uh, circulating in some form or another over the last four years or so on the internet. It's a, just an infographic uh, it's two-dimensional that shows where news media sources fall in terms of overall reliability and left-to-right political bias. And our name, Ad Fontes, is Latin for to the source because what we do is we actually look at the source uh, to make these determinations. We do uh, a pretty rigorous content analysis. So we're not doing you know, opinion polls or just um, you know any kind of uh, snap judgment or measurements of these uh, of these sources. What we're doing is going article by article and looking at you know the text and the uh, graphics and the headlines and you know making sure stuff uh, is you know fact checking things, making making sure they're true, figuring out the veracity of stuff um, in order to make these judgments. And we do it with a team of nonpartisan uh, analysts panels. So we have for every article that we rate, we have somebody from the left, somebody from the right, somebody from the center looking at it uh, in real time together and discussing their um, their conclusions. And that's how we come up with our overall ratings. So we have thousands of news articles that we've rated that way and uh, hundreds of news sources on our chart. And we provide products and services uh, related to that data. Vanessa Otero, our guest today, and the media bias chart is is uh, how I first became aware of you. And, and as you mentioned, probably an awful lot of people have seen this online. Um, for people who haven't, we're going to dive deep into it. But where, where did the idea come from or where did, did you come up with the idea or, or whoever there in the company come up with the idea that this is something that, that needs to, to happen? Yeah, you know, I actually created this as a hobby uh about four years ago, right before in the run up to the last presidential presidential election in 2016, and I uh, am a patent attorney by profession, um, and I was a full time patent attorney to, uh, until a little while ago uh, when I left to run my company full time. Uh, but you know, I say I created it as a hobby because you know 
I'm a like a news nerd. That's what I call myself and <laughs> other folks that, you know, also like this kind of stuff. Um, I just, I noticed, Hey, you know, there are certain sources that are better and certain sources that are worse, some that are left and right, but then there's some that are really more so left and right. Uh, some problematically so, and, uh, it would be helpful to like have a visual representation of this. It would help me in discussions with my friends online, uh, because those can kind of be counterproductive, uh, really easily, you know, state of online discourse. So I, you know, spent a few weeks putting it together, coming up with these different categories and, you know, put it on the internet and it just went viral everywhere. I had no idea it would, you know, do such a thing, but it uh, turned out people needed something like this. There was nothing out there that just kind of laid out a map of the media landscape uh, based on um, actual criteria, uh, things that were defined. And as that spread, it got lots of feedback from folks all over the internet, uh, as you can imagine, um, lots of people have opinions on it. So no I, I heard from, heard from lots of folks and, you know, I really took that into heart, uh, to heart. People would ask for the data and the methodology and to rate more sources. And you know, the main complaint I would get was that since it was just me making this chart, that it was biased because, uh, I'm biased. And I thought, well, that's true. I am biased because I'm a human and all of us are. So sure. how, how to mitigate that and the best way was to, to bring on other folks. So now we have the teams of over 40 analysts uh, that are, like I said, doing this uh, all together, um, you know, left, right, center. And it's really, uh, it's really encouraging to see how folks from different political viewpoints can actually agree on stuff when you get down to the nitty gritty details. I think that has been what I've run into an awful lot in doing what I do is that people just don't get into and get down into the weeds, into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. details on, on what's biased and what's not. And, and, you know, when I have shared this document, even within my own company and within my, my friend circle, you're right. Wow. It, it uh, generates an awful lot of argument where people will look at that and say, uh, no, how does this <laughs> media outlet wind up? Uh, you know, so much down the middle or so far to the left or so far to the right. But it's really not like these these arbitrary lists you'll see in People magazine of the most, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, happening bands of the 1990s. This, right. you know, this data actually gets parsed <laughs> by a bunch of folks. So um, pull back the curtain a little bit and, and mm-hmm. tell us, you know, how you how you do what you do, how you decide where you're going to classify one of these media outlets and, and also kind of break it down. I, I, I guess it, since this is an audio podcast, it's tough mm-hmm. for folks to, to figure it out visually. We may want to point them to adfontesmedia.com and they can take a look. But it's mm-hmm. uh, media outlets on the left, media outlets in the center and on the right. And then you also have a couple of other criteria that are based on reliability. So break it down for us on, on what it looks like and how you make those determinations. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've seen you know, a static image on the internet, um, you might not have seen the most recent versions. These do change over time. Uh, you're reflecting shifts in the media landscape. So if you go to our website, uh, we have an interactive media bias chart that really allows you to dig in and see the data uh, you know, visualized in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and you can get into more detail and it has our most updated uh, versions and, and data on there. So it, just imagine a two-dimensional chart and you know the vertical axis 
um, you know, the y-axis is reliability. So it's reliability and news value. So it's generally, you know, people think of good at the top and okay in the middle and bad at the bottom, but there's a lot of levels to what makes a news source good, what makes it just okay, what makes it problematic, what makes it bad, right? It's not as simple uh, as a binary of uh, real, real news and fake news and or just news versus opinion even. There's just a lot of gradients. So from top to bottom, we put right at the very top is original journalism fact reporting and then also fact re-reporting, you know, just the confirmation of other news sources, but stuff that delivers the facts of what happened. That's at the very apex of our news landscape because you know, people need this information and the work that journalists do to go get that information and deliver to all of us is super important. And the rest of the news landscape, even you know the other good things like analysis and opinion of it, uh, wouldn't even exist without that work that journalists do. So we put that at the top. And so right below that is the, what are referred to as analysis. So when you take these facts and put them in context and explain why, um, you know, often that's very helpful, but the more analysis and the more it gets into opinion, the less it gets away from actually just reporting the facts. So, you know, it's facts at the top and then below that is you know, some good analysis. Below that is you know, a little bit weaker analysis. And then below that is this whole segment of opinion. And we just have a ton of analysis and opinion content in our whole news landscape. So that whole middle swath, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with opinion uh, and, and heavy analysis, but it's not exactly news. And, you know, our all of our cable news channels are sort of guilty of falling into this a swath because it's um, kind of cheap and easy to produce analysis and opinion. Uh, it can get pretty partisan and biased, uh, draw, you know, uh, draw polarized audiences and make people mad. So, you know, there's a lot of financial incentives to have a lot of opinion content out there. So we just want to say that you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not as good as news. Now, below that, below the opinion, is where you start to get into problematic areas. Like, uh, and it's not necessarily that something's fake or uh, you're totally fabricated, right? There is, certainly is that stuff out there, but there are other problematic things, like things that are selective or unfair or um, so opinionated that they could be considered propaganda. So, you know, there's the whole swath of that kind of uh, stuff out there too. And there, is, there really is a lot of that and it permeates social media uh, really thoroughly. Uh, below that is stuff that's misleading, and then at the very bottom is the stuff that's what we consider fake, false, inaccurate, fabricated. So, you know, from top to bottom, we measure the whole media landscape, and left to right, I think, makes a little bit more sense, uh, but just in general, the left to right landscape is, you know, the most extremes on the outside, um, you know, the, fur the furthest ends of the chart, and uh, the left right spectrum, left right axis of this chart is meant to capture the contemporary United States uh, political spectrum as defined by the current our current elected officials. So it's contemporary because these things with left and right shifts over time, it's United States because uh, what's left and right shifts according to geography, it's different in different countries. And uh, elected officials are like an easy way to measure like what's currently being re represented by our government on the left and on the right uh, to various degrees at, uh, the, at the current time. You know, you, you identified yourself in a, a sort of a self-deprecating way as a news nerd, but this stuff <laughs> now really affects everybody. So it's not just the you and me, the news nerds of the world. This has, you know, greatly influenced the world up to and including 
having a whole bunch of, of insurrectionists break into the United States Capitol on January 6th mm-hmm. because of uh, the content that's spread out there, not only in traditional news, but also in social media, which is, uh, is sort of not in the purview of, of what you do. Um, you know, I've got a few years on you, Vanessa, and, and back in the day, supermarket tabloids were a thing and we mm-hmm. all kind of knew they were a thing that that mm-hmm. was a, that was the original fake news you know you'd have the weekly right. world news and you would have pictures of bat boy on the cover and bat boy is running for senate right. or whatever um and, and so that that was the original thing now though some of these outlets that are the 2021 equivalent of the weekly world news mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. are being accepted and and bought into by some really smart people. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder if, and this may be a little bit, uh, you know, outside what you do, but I wonder if you have thoughts on how in the world that can happen, on the left or on the right. <laughs> no, I have a, a ton of thoughts on, on why that can happen. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I uh, want to acknowledge that I uh, didn't get into, you know, the nitty gritty of like how our, our analysts do it. And I always like all the articles and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, I'm happy to revisit, revisit that um, at any point uh, because there's, there's just so much to what we do, but you know, the interactive chart, you can actually see the different articles that we rate um, and how, uh, and that actually relates to this question. So, you know, modern, uh, our modern media landscape is just so much more vast than our, uh, like the what previously existed. So if you had, you know, three major and television networks and your local papers and your national papers and then your supermarkets have woods and that's really it right you know it's sort of easy and simple to figure okay bad boy that's fake right and that's just for <laughs> entertainment <laughs> yeah but but it's more sophisticated now right there's thousands and thousands of news sources and they're not all the same it's not like um you know, there are sources at the top of the chart that you know all their articles are they kind of cluster around each other and then there some fake news sites that like all their articles are um you know really obviously uh like fake and misleading in the bat boy vein <laughs> but um most of them are not like that they're not that obvious a lot of them have quite a bit of spread of stuff that's like you know uh, acceptable news and stuff that's um, kind of questionable, and there's some that's really misleading. And there's the um, that mix it really draws people in. So Infowars is kind of famously, um, you know, unreliable. So uh, so much so that it's gotten banned from major social platforms and stuff. And so it's, you know, this this good example of like, oh yeah, that's that's fake news. But I still have people that will defend Infowars to me or other sources like on the bottom left of the chart saying, well, you know. I know the guy gets a little uh, carried away sometimes, but most of the time he's got good information as if like, you know, only 33% of the stuff that's on there is fake news. And like the other 67% is not, and that they should get credit for the 67%. Well, they shouldn't, right. A a good journalism outlet uh, should be correct about as, as often as a airplane is in the air. Like it should be all the time. Right. So 5%, 2% fake news is like a very unreliable news source, right? But people don't, if you visit a source and, you know, most of the time it's fine, then you can get really sucked into reading something that's misleading and just accepting it. Um, the other thing, just like higher level, you know, the, the phenomenon of like, how can people believe stuff that we you look at and it's like clearly so wrong to you? Like it's so illogical, unlikely, uh, not plausible. 
Um, but people will say, you know what, I don't, um, I'm not sure if this is true, but I'm going to kind of act as if it is true anyways, like with really complicated conspiracy theories that again, sound insane to you, uh, to most people can, um, can really throw people for a loop. And it's not just a matter of education. Uh, it's not just that people are dumb. Like you said, some really smart people will be like, I'm not sure if this is true and I might believe it. So if you think about like, we often take for granted the ways in which we come to the conclusion that something's likely true or something's likely not. Like it's a really snap judgment that's that's really quick. And we're trying to very quickly measure a bunch of heuristics, like a bunch of shortcuts, right? So, well, and we're measuring shortcuts of things that are uh, that we can easily uh, make mistakes on. Those three things are reputation, incentives, and likelihood, okay? So you're trying to judge the reputation of, of the speaker of the information. You're trying to judge the incentives of the speaker of the information. And you're trying to judge the likelihood of the thing that, that person is saying is true. And so for each one of those things, reputation, incentive, and likelihood, you can easily get that wrong if you just don't, if you're not looking for the right things. Like reputation, you know, um, uh, do I know that this is a reputable news source? Like what makes something reputable? Like why should I trust um, a, a new publication, even if I've never heard of it, say ProPublica, it's a very good publication, but it's new and not everybody's heard of it, right? right. Or um, the, uh, or like a tweet, right? Just a, a tweet from somebody that you don't know. Like why do you, uh, why do you have a better, uh, trust of reputation for uh, public versus a tweet. And some people, they just, they'll miss that, right? They'll miss that they shouldn't just just uh, uh, trust the tweet. The second thing is incentives, right? And you can you can get somebody's incentive wrong. Uh, one example is, you know, uh, some radio show hosts would, uh, in the past few weeks, talking about election misinformation, would give credit to, like, uh, Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell, you know, the Trump lawyers who were um, spreading misinformation. Um, I, let me correct myself. Sidney Powell is, you know, not officially a Trump lawyer, um, but they were spreading misinformation about the election. And so people would defend them by saying, well, they're lawyers. Um, they don't, if they lied, they could get disbarred and therefore they have an incentive to tell the truth, Right that's a mismeasurement of what the actual incentives were, right? That met, that incentive was not preventing them from telling, uh, telling lies. Got okay. It. Yep. And then likelihood, right? The likelihood that something did or did not happen. Um, you, you know, it's, there's, there are principles like Occam's, the Occam's razor principle where, um, you know, usually the simplest explanation is the, the likely is the, is the true one. Uh, but sometimes people just miss that kind of signal of likelihood and they'll look to a different signal. Uh, a, a different kind of signal can be level of detail, right? So say you look at a, uh, you know, uh, a AP news report, which has a lot of detail in it. And then you look at a know nothing, you know, source that you've never heard of, like a, a long blog or tweet just on, on the internet. And it also has a lot of detail, but it's about something completely false. So the AP story says, these are all the things that happened in Georgia and in Michigan and in Arizona. And this uh, tweet or blog, it says, well, this is what happened in Georgia. Actually, all these, you know, here, here's an elaborate story about how 
uh, software was uh, sent by uh, satellites to some building in Italy and like the Italian government was involved in rigging the election and that's how all this happened, right? That second story is very, very unlikely, but if you're not looking for that likelihood uh, indicator, you're just looking at, well, this one has details, this one has details, I have no, uh, no idea which one to believe, they both sound possible to me, you just throw up your hands in the air, it's really, really easy to miss truth if you're uh, not going through that process. Vanessa Otero is our guest today, and we're talking about her media bias chart, um, which you can find all over the Internet. Uh, how do you keep uh, – let's be a little granular here. How do you keep the bias out of your media bias chart? Because, as you said, we all have internal biases. You said you know, you've got folks that are on the left and on the right and in the middle that, that evaluate these articles. But, but let's say, for example – and I'm looking at the media bias chart right now – um, uh, you know, an article comes in or, or mm-hmm. an outlet like the New York Times, which is going to have mm-hmm. opinion pieces on mm-hmm. the editorial page, and they're going to have, quote unquote, straight news coverage. Well, certainly every conservative mm-hmm. in America is going to say the New York Times is, you know, a left wing publication. So right. how do you and your team determine where to place the New York Times on your chart? Because what's in that newspaper is going to vary within the paper itself. Yep. So that's why we really rely on samples of articles. It's an article by article uh, analysis. Uh, the more granular you can get, as you said, the more you can agree. If you, the more abstract, um, the the easier it is to disagree. So if you're saying, like, talking about CNN, people will just throw throw around things like, "Oh, well, CNN is great," or "CNN is garbage," or "CNN is left," or "CNN is too moderate," or whatever, right? Yep. Um, but CNN is like. A TV network has like international partners. It like has uh, the online uh, publication has an app, like and has uh, dozens of shows and hosts and uh, journalists, right? So, uh, if, but if you talk about like you know CNN said this thing on this day, um, you know which was like right or wrong, then like people left, right, and center can agree on that granular fact, right? Or you, to go back to the New York Times. Uh, we have a left. We look at them uh, article by article. So we will select uh, our samples in, to include all the news analysis and opinion pieces of any given article. Like we we measure it all, and we don't necessarily say, um, you know, just because this is an opinion, this is separate from the the newspaper. Like people read it all together. You know, it, the fact that uh, you know Wall Street Journal publishes right leaning opinion pieces makes people think that Wall Street Journal is right and that's valid. And the fact that New York Times and Washington Post publish more left-leaning uh, opinion pieces than right-leaning ones makes them think though they are more left than right. And that's valid as well. So to capture that, we do measure, all, we do rate all those articles. So we take, a, say you have a left-leaning opinion piece in the New York Times. Well, that is going to get rated right in the left-leaning opinion section. There's a section that's called, you know, skews left, and there's a section called hyperpartisan left. Our three analysts, left, right, and center, can all look at that anal- that article and say, all right, this one is hyperpartisan left, and it is opinion. It goes in, right in the opinion section, and they will agree with a high degree of fidelity. But then they'll also like the next article they read might just be like a straight uh, report about something that happened internationally, you know, straight fact reporting, and they will all rate that for like in, in the middle for having minimal bias. And they'll all rate it in the uh, fact reporting section, which is a different section than that previous article. So our sample uh, is like a weighted average of all of 
or, or our overall source score is a weighted average of all those different articles that we've rated. And so for the big publications, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Post, we've rated well over 100 articles. But each of the you know, hundreds of sources on our chart have at least 15 articles rated over a period of time. And that reflects you know, their most prominent coverage uh, for a particular day. So if a publication chooses to uh, have like a very prominent opinion and analysis pieces, and that's what they show at the top of their page, um, that's what uh, that's going to reflect their score. Do you think, Vanessa, that uh, a big part of the issue is that there is this blending, certainly in cable news, of uh, you know sort of straight news blocks, if you will, and mm-hmm. and these opinion shows that, mm-hmm. uh, frankly, are the most highly rated by far on all the cable news networks, mm-hmm. and that the average guy who lives uh, in his town and uh, you know is just trying to feed his family and get through the day really doesn't delineate between mm-hmm. a newscaster and. Uh, a Chris Hayes on MSNBC or Sean mm-hmm. Hannity on Fox News. Do you think that there should be, you know, big flashing signs that say this is opinion, mm-hmm. this is not news? Would that would that help our situation at all? I think labeling it would help because I think people don't notice that, and folks that are uh, more media savvy kind of take for granted uh, that people do distinguish that, and people don't. I mean. It's called cable news network. That's what CNN stands for, right? right. So you kind of expect that, like, well, news, news is in the name. Yeah. And then what is, Fox, what is Fox called? It's called Fox News, right? So you kind of expect that it's news as well. Um, but, the, yeah, the uh, quality of each, the, the mix of news analysis and opinion on each of those is it's very, very, very heavily analysis and opinion. So you could watch uh, four to six hours of each of those cable show, uh, cable networks each day in, in a day and hear about maybe four stories, four, four news stories, but then 25 opinions and pundits uh, takes on it. That's not news. And it's uh, I refer to it as like, the donuts and fries of news. Like if, if <laughs> junk food is like junk news, uh, I love this analogy of junk food being junk news. Like your real news is like your lean, your, your APN Reuters wire services and your know, straight news reporting from reputable publications. That's, uh, you know, your lean meats and vegetables and, uh, and, uh, whole, you know, whole grain carbohydrates. Um, but yeah, people will in donuts and fries, they are food. Like, Cable news, I guess, is news, and it won't kill you, but um, it's bad for you. Too much you of it is not good. Not too many chicken too- nuggets. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, people say, uh, take it for granted, like, well, Fox's news side is, you know, they're saying these things that are very reasonable, but their opinion side, okay, well, that's where their hosts get in trouble. People don't, like, all of a sudden say, oh, well, now I'm watching opinion. Like, you know, the hour has changed. Uh, I'm going to put my opinion hat on. No, it just kind of all all blends together. There's a great article. It's actually out today in the Columbia Journalism Review. Uh, and it quotes um, NYU professor uh, Jay Rosen talking about, uh, it's actually by the CNN public editor uh, who who said, CNN needs to do away with the panels. Um, it It's all about panels all day because it's, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with this. You've got it's cheaper and easier to just have four people's talking heads. Um, you beamed into the studio to give their takes 
than to actually send reporters onto the ground to tell you like what's happening. But there's such an opportunity for these uh, networks with 24 hour news uh, broadcast capability. And yes, it's more expensive, but what kind of service they could really bring if they had you know, journalists and reporters like uh, on the ground telling us new news stories about different communities and different events that are happening all around the country and all around the world. I mean, that would be immensely valuable. You know, I'm glad you're saying that because sometimes when I, I sound wistful and I've got a few years on you <laughs> and I talk about, you know, Walter Cronkite and you got the straight yeah. news and you knew what you were going to get from Uncle Walter. And, 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 you know, people look at me like I'm a Martian and I, or I have three heads. <laughs> um, is there an opportunity to get back to that world? And, and let me preface it by saying that, you know, when CNN launched in 1980, it was around the same time MTV launched. And MTV uh-huh. used to play music videos. And, of course, mm-hmm. they don't anymore because that financial model was not sustainable. They had to go into other kinds of, of programming. It was the same thing with CNN. You know, the, the ratings were not as good as they were for Fox News for many years because of Fox's opinion pieces. So they moved to mm-hmm. to doing these shows with, with one or two uh, folks. And, and, you know, Fox, there was, at least in the beginning, sort of a pretense of that with Sean Hannity and Alan Combs. Mm-hmm. We had the point mm-hmm. counterpoint. Um, you know, all of that's gone now. The you know the pretense mm-hmm. of being down the middle is gone. Is there, uh, if you were to crystal ball it, is there a business reason, an opportunity for news outlets, whether they be newspapers, TV, radio stations, to get back to the middle, or is that in our rearview mirror? No, I, I think there is, and but it's going to take a, a concerted effort from all stakeholders in good news media, right? Like we see the damage that this uh, like fractured and highly polarized media landscape has caused. It's not just like annoying that your relatives disagree with you. It's that like some of them are so far gone down like conspiracy theory rabbit holes that they're like, unreachable that it's like they're in cults right uh this becomes deadly uh this is is has it was dangerous and it was deadly i mean we haven't even rec- i mean we we see that now with the capital insurrection right people believing literal fake news um about some you know QAnon like storm coming whatever they like you know they thought that this like they should storm the capital and did not it certainly, you know, having instigated by you know, the leader of our country at that time, uh, just added this whole other dimension to it. But this, it was like a perfect storm of, you know, leadership telling, uh, you know, the big lie, having that circulate throughout this media ecosystem and uh, have, having people not being able to, to tell the difference, right? So it's dangerous and it's deadly. We haven't even reckoned with the fact that misinformation has is largely responsible for the deaths of over 400,000 people from coronavirus this last year. I mean, the depth the depth of disinformation that has um, that has caused the damage uh, specifically related to coronavirus is just like mortifying to me. Um, but now, so now people get it, uh, and people understand like we have to do something about this problem. And people say like, you know, how can how, how can we do something about it? Because look, it seems like this is what consumers want because it's more profitable. And I go back to the junk food, junk news analogy. Like in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, when processed food and junk food and fast food became available, everyone's like, wow, this is great. Look, rapidly available food. And then a few years later, we saw like the, the massive detrimental health effects society wide uh, of having, you know, food that was like too much fat, salt, sugar, right? Uh, and 
and there was like a catch 22 by the producers of the food and consumers. The producers of the food were incentivized uh, to make money and uh, increase their businesses. Um, and the and consumers themselves showed that they wanted that, right? How did we shift that? It, because that's what we're going through right now. Uh, the publishers, you, even the good ones, um, the major like powerful networks, are uh, they have business models and incentives uh, to uh, to chase and uphold, right? So th if they're just saying, well, we're just giving the consumers what they want. Um, and what they want is this highly opinionated stuff. How do we break the cycle? Well, I think in the same way um, that that cycle has evolved and changed uh, with food. If you think about it, you know, there did not used to be nutrition labels for food until right. the 70s. And, and, you know, there's uh, this industry of news ratings that, you know, we are leaders in now is a new industry that you used to not have news ratings. And so now we uh, we figure out a way to like label news, and I think that's an important part of it. But it's not just the, the labeling of it; uh, it's the financial incentives. It's uh, consumers demanding that they have better choices and better options. It's um, the publishers themselves saying, you know, we want to take responsibility uh, for mitigating our own bias and upholding our standards while in pursuit of our profits for our business model. Um, it's the advertisers. Uh, realizing the role that they play in uh, funding uh, polarizing junk news and, and funding or not funding good journalism. This is really where my company is doing a lot of work uh, with uh, existing partners. Uh, we work with an uh, ad agency called uh, Oxford Road. Um, that's It's a leading uh, digital uh, audio ad agency. Um, it, uh, we're uh, coming out with a new uh, initiative in conjunction with some other key partners called the Media Roundtable that's designed to bring uh, together um, uh, publishers and advertisers and consumers uh, to demand that uh, the content, the news and opinion content that folks put out there meets basic standards and not, it doesn't, you know, dehumanize and vilify um, our opponents, like has some kind of basic level of respect uh, in, in a dialogue and doesn't seek to just divide and divide and divide. Um, but it takes everybody. It takes the consumers demanding it. It takes the uh, publishers, uh, you know, pr producing it. And it takes the advertisers saying, you know, we're not going to fund this junk news and we are going to fund good journalism. So our role is to help people distinguish between each of those uh, kinds of uh, news and opinion type of content. Vanessa Otero is our guest today, and, uh, and I could talk to you about this forever uh, because it's, <laughs> it's uh, especially after January 6th, as you said, it's no longer about the, the you know, the annoying drunk uncle at Thanksgiving that you got to argue with. Right. It, this is now a life or death thing, and the genie is certainly out of the bottle. If you look at Vanessa's company's media bias chart, and, and all you have to do is, I, I think, Google the media bias chart, and, and you'll see it come up in mm -hmm. its various iterations. I think the latest one was version 6.1, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, a triangle, if you can visualize that, where at the top, the very top, in the middle of that triangle, uh, the, the top peak is the news content that is straight down the middle, and then just like a triangle, man, it diverges quickly, and you've got lots of stuff to the left, and you got lots of stuff to the right, and there's just not a whole hell of a lot in the middle anymore. Um, and I wonder, as as you talked about, 
what happened on January 6th and, and the uh, also the damage that was done from coronavirus, there will be people listening right now who say, oh, she's just another one of these mainstream media uh, people who are just pushing that that whole agenda and, and you know, uh, that's not right. And what about all all the fake news that's uh, in mainstream media is on the left? And I wonder what you would say to those people because clearly looking at your own media bias chart, you know, it diverges to the left an awful lot too. Yeah, you know, so if you, I, I know at first glance it looks like a, like an inverted V, um, like a, like a triangle. Yep. Uh, but there, but if you if you look closely, it's not an exactly equal distribution. So, uh, one thing I want to point out is that you know the middle of the chart doesn't mean the best, right? It's a vertical axis uh, that uh, like the stuff at the top is is good and the stuff at the bottom is is worse, right? Yep. So, um, it's the middle stands for a couple of things. Uh, it can be in the middle because it's, uh, you know, minimally balanced or minimally, minimally biased. Folks refer to it as neutral or it's centrist and centrist is an actual political position, like a compromise position between two positions um, or it's balanced, like saying here's one side and here's the other, right? It's not exactly the same thing. And middle doesn't mean the best. It doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Uh, we're just trying to capture what the middle is in the United States right now. If you think back to before uh, the civil rights movement, you know, one side was, you know, pro-segregation and one side was against segregation. Right. You can't just say the middle position on that was the right one. No, like over time, like now we have wide consensus in this country Segregation is wrong. I mean, think back further to slavery, right? So that what the middle is, you know, the uh, there are the middle doesn't necessarily necessarily mean like most morally right or or good, right? There's a, a constant uh, shift in what we figure is morally right or good as a society, um, and you know the 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 things that we measure are things that like if, if you look article by article um no matter your political persuasion if you look in an article and say like uh you know this one ha- is heavier in fact reporting or this one has uh, more opinion like there are certain uh, objective markers you can use to measure that like uh when we look at the uh, like when we, we rate our articles based on at least six different sub factors okay so for the for reliability it's expression is it express is it meant to be taken as a fact is it meant to be taken as analysis and must be taken as opinion right then there's also veracity like how true is it um you know and and the truth of something is something that can be determined you know you can corroborate things you can find primary sources um you can you find evidence and documentation that something is true or not so we rate it uh for that as well we also rate you know does the headline in the graphic uh, reflect what's in the in the article you know that's a, a different measurement so we take all three of those plus some other uh, measurements we come up with an overall rating and then for, for left to right those are things that are quantifiable too like does this article advocate for a a left uh, like a republican position or a democratic position or does it advocate for no position at all what is the language that's used in there does the la- language um it, do they use a political terminology that's more associated with the right or the left like pro-life or pro-choice uh or um like a state tax or death tax um 
how do they characterize their opponents? And what kind of adjectives do they use to characterize you know, President Biden, President Trump, right? Um, do they they say you know, no adjectives or neutral adjectives? Or are you calling somebody, you know, senile or evil? I mean, those are uh, really, those are uh, terms that you can spot in the actual text of the article itself itself sure. that that you can use to measure you know so these are all these are all like as objective as possible measurements like of course you know we're all biased as humans but we're you can grade something on a rubric even though there's some subjectivity to it it's kind of like uh grading a figure skating or gymnastics or like an uh, ap essay like you have a rubric people who are well trained can come to very similar conclusions uh even though it's uh, there's an element of human subjectiveness to it so that's how how we do it people are welcome to uh, dive into our methodology critique it how they want but um we've got receipts we can arm wrestle with them all day long here as i have <laughs> when i've shown this to, to people um yeah let's, let's talk about a little bit of good news in your news mm-hmm. chart your media bias chart there is at the very top of that pyramid uh, some sort of right down the middle, uh, uh, you know, news outlets, the Associated Press, UPI, Reuters, these wire services. Um, and mm-hmm. then right under that, this always struck me. And I, I think that that might be a beacon of light in the world. There's a lot of local media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that's fantastic. You know, there's the Tennessean, for example, which is a great paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, their online mm-hmm. outlet, uh, Syracuse.com, um, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Minneapolis paper, the Star Tribune, even the Las Vegas Review Journal, where I used to work for CBS, uh, coincidentally, at mm-hmm. one time. Um, you know, the, the challenges, of course, newspapers, by and large, mm-hmm. are, are challenged financially now. The wire services have a different business model where right. you know, d- different members pay, and many people don't know this, pay dues to, to be a part mm-hmm. of that, and that tends to make it right down the middle. Um, is the future of less biased news, if not unbiased news, in these local outlets where if you really kind of want to get the, the skinny on things, you pay attention to your local TV station, your local radio station, your local newspaper? Is that where we need to look? Yeah, you know, I think there there are a lot of viable business models in that a high reliability, you know, uh, you know, minimally biased middle category. Um, and I, I've seen a few and certainly uh, local news is is one of the best. And yeah, as, as you know, local news has uh, gone through some really uh, difficult business model uh, changes and challenges with the rise of digital. And, you know, our, our company like seeks to help um, ameliorate that. Like local news is, uh, is, is so needed in communities around the world and uh, you know, around the country and around the world. Um, you know, uh, and there are good, I think there are ad supported models, uh, uh, you know, subscriber models. It's always kind of been a hybrid, uh, for, for local news having, you know, uh, subscriber uh, revenue plus, uh, plus advertising. Um, but you know, they haven't been able to adapt to the kind of shifts, um, that you brought so much of the advertising online. And I think advertisers really have a huge role to play in and fixing that because you know news content um the iab has uh, the iab has reports out um showing how like uh you know news are like 
uh, they have a working group called News Saves Lives and how like advertising next to news is like just good society wide for so so many different reasons. Um, so if advertisers could actively funnel and uh, focus and prioritize on advertising in news content, uh, that would be greatly beneficial. Um, there are other models for delivering uh, you know, unbiased news, like you know, straight subscription models. Um, you know, of course, not everybody pays for that. But there are also advertiser uh, models, like for newsletters. There are a bunch of really great newsletters, uh, some on uh, new ones on Substack, or some just like uh, regular newsletters that are uh, Substacks are subscription based. There are other ones that are um, that are advertiser based, but um, they're good ones. That, uh, there's a, a good site a website out there called The Neutral. Um, it has a you know, site in the Digest. Uh, there's one called uh, 1440. Um, the Skim. You know, these are uh, email newsletters and, and sites that have, um, you know, they have ad ad revenue, like they're, they're ad supported because they have ads in the newsletters themselves. They're usually like well curated, but those business models do work. Um, the, the, the hard part is that with digital advertising, um, especially programmatic advertising in the news, uh, because of brand safety concerns, so many brands have said, you know, we don't want to advertise next to any news because some of it's fake and some of it's polarizing. So just forget it. Now that doing that is just so damaging because you take all the way, all this revenue from these great local sources or from these great, um, you know, independent publications or smaller publications that are doing really great reporting, uh, um, unbiased reporting. And they're just kind of, you know, with a, a blunt force tool saying no news, you know, we're just not going to advertise on news. So that's one of the ways that we're stepping in to help um, advertisers differentiate between like the good stuff and the junk. And there is good stuff out there. You just have to figure it is. out. I, you know, I'll give a, a quick high five to the local news radio station here in our market, WTOP in Washington, D.C., which has been uh, one of the top five billing radio stations in America for many years now. And they're right mm-hmm. down the middle. Um and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, I've talked to their programming people many times, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of traffic in this town, and they do traffic reports every 10 minutes, mm-hmm. 24-7, mm-hmm. and they do the weather mm-hmm. every 10 minutes, 24-7, and then the news is unbiased. Mm-hmm. So it is out there, and you can find mm-hmm. it. Um, this is a, a fascinating conversation. I I know that it's a changing dynamic out there, and I would like to put uh, a request in right now that – when and if things change in a big way again, that we can get you back on the podcast to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Vanessa, how can folks find you and the media bias chart online, point them towards what you do and, and how they can find out more and, and perhaps help. Yeah. Um, our company's ad Fontes media. And if you just go to ad Fontes um, or if you just go to media bias chart.com, that'll take you to our site as well. Um, you'll, you can see all the different ways that you can, uh, do your part to play your role in fixing our news ecosystem. Like I said, it will take the work of all of us. There's not just one silver bullet to fix these problems in news media, but our mission is to make news consumers smarter and make news media better. And I know that's a really tall order. sounds like a lofty goal, but it's so important and we so need it. So the, the, uh, the stakeholders in good media are are you. You know, if you're just a news consumer, being able to tell the difference between the uh, good stuff and and the junk 
and not share misinformation. You know, we have, you know, we have resources for you, for educators, you know, teaching news literacy more effectively in classes, uh, and, you know, throughout, you know, uh, high school and college. You know, we need you and we have resources and products for you. Um, like I talked about this the whole time, publishers, um, marketers, social media companies, governments, everyone has a role to play. Uh, and we uh, provide resources and products and services, and data to help support uh, everyone's goals in working towards that, you know, more perfect union. It's so, so important. And, and I know there will be folks listening who go, gosh, it sounds like a nanny state to me. And here we go with more of this uh, cancel culture and telling people how to think. It's not that at all. It's about educating yourself to know what you're consuming. And as, mm-hmm. as cliche as it sounds, Vanessa, I really do believe it. It's more important now than ever. And we've seen that uh, after January 6th. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Bert. Vanessa Otero and the media bias chart. Hey, thank you for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Bye, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.